Oh. Tonight on 69 Minutes, we bring you three one-on-one -on -one interviews that span the minivan world. A prank call legend sits down with Blind Mike's daddy, and they have an intimate discussion on what life is like for a professional prank caller. Hey, kid. Yeah. You cold out there? Yeah. You want to warm up for a little while? Well, do you know how to dial a telephone? Yeah. All right. Then, Buddy sits down with the first Minifan president, a man who hasn't listened to the show since September and had a shocking revelation from his experience in Saco. Yeah, I walked around that event at Saco. I had one guy who we were in there for 40 minutes and he was like grabbing my junk and stuff and telling me how drunk he was. Now, I'm not gonna tell you who it is. I'm just gonna say it rhymes with- But first, the creativity of the Minifans knows no bounds, nor do the songs that please the ears and souls of the Miniverse. But what goes into a hit parody song? 69 Minutes, Andrew Augustus finds out. I'm Lauren Lynn. I'm Kevin from Bristol. I'm Andrew Augustus. I'm Blind Mike's daddy. My name's Buddy, and this is 69 Minutes. Carl wrote those books alone Didn't need any help Did it all from home, oh yeah He had no ghost riders Whoa, whoa, whoa Steve's a liar Some say he's known as a DC sleuth At the hot dog contest he was number two He's a real quagmire all I know, Steve's a liar. For over a year and a half, the creativity of the Minifans was put on display as Podcast Jesus himself requested parody songs after the 50 State Prank phone call challenge for Kirk's birthday was a huge success. But some forget that the first hit parody song was done on a Twitter live stream for Kirk's birthday by one Murchison's Mouse. Today, we sit down with him and two other Minifans who have continued to put out songs that are ingrained into the minds of Minifans today. Hola, bitches. I've been walking these train tracks alone Singing do 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 I topped every hack on these whack-ass airways of Boston Where talking's the name of the game And activists stalk you each day till you go insane So I packed up and went up the bar stool Yeah, Murchison is just an old fool And I'm gonna be what the men of fans want me to be like a podcast Jesus Making 50 prank calls to the stations on the radio Like a podcast Jesus Where did 
the idea of Podcast Jesus come from? It was right around the time that Bruce came out with uh, Rhinestone Cowboy. So Kirk had been singing it and singing it and singing it and playing it on the outros. And I was walking into school one day and um, whistling it, whistling Rhinestone Cowboy. And then Podcast, like a Podcast Jesus, just sort of worked and worked, popped into my head because I always listen to Kirk on the way to work. Um, and I just kind of laughed about it. And I was like, wait a minute. So I got the whole chorus quickly written. And I said, all right, hang on. And I start, started taking notes. And through the day, I had my phone with me. And I'd whip it out. And I wrote down, you know, suburban backseat. And uh, guys following him in a black car. And out when he's running. And then I got home that day. And, and I, hadn't, I didn't even know how to play uh, Rhinestone Cowboy at that point. And so I looked up the chords on the, uh, on, the, on the internet, ran out to my studio, taught it to myself quick. And the next day was going to be Kirk's birthday. And so that's why I wanted to get it out there. And then I, uh, I was literally, uh, I went live and I'm like, all right. I, at this point I had like 14 followers, you know? And so I went live, but I like, I tagged Kirk and tagged the show or something like that. And, uh, and I'm, my knees are like shaking. Cause I know I'm like, all right, this is it. If I screw this up, you know, all 14 of my fans will be devastated. <laughs> but I figured there was a, I didn't, I wasn't too wily with Twitter and deleting and everything. So I figured once I had it out there, I might be screwed if I messed it up. And so I was able to kind of get my way through it. And now my band does it. My band plays rhinestone cowboy. But it's a it's it's tricky because I'll get to the chorus and I'm ready to belt it out. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm like, like a pod rhinestone. And I'm like, <laughs> Have you been performing where you've you've slipped up the lyrics between Rhinestone Cowboy and Podcast Jesus? Yeah. And uh, and we do. I'm on fire, too. So we'll and I'll, I will purposefully because the the bass player is my buddy that does the videos with me. I will. We will purposefully slip in Steve's a liar instead of I'm on fire just to see if anybody is a minute fan out there. It would be the best if it happened. You're just like at a concert and all all of a sudden, you see a Steve's alive. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, talk when you're going through this at the very beginning. Now, it's it's hugely popular on Twitter. It gets shared a bunch after. I mean, I I was I had no clue who you were. Then all of a sudden, boom, there you are. I'm like, this is I know. great. You're you can sing. You have a very talented. You you can play the guitar. So that I think that's what initially surprised a lot of the minifans with the your ability to sing a parody song and also be playing it live and i think even at the very beginning uh when they were first talking about it back in november of 19 steve even brings that up and he's like yeah he plays all of his music live what's it what's it like to put that kind of pressure at the beginning to be like i'm just going to perform these live so um, I, I did. I, I know exactly that clip, clip you're talking about with steve because i was very happy that he sort of made note of that but um at this point, you know, I've been um, a teacher for about uh, 11 years and I've been in a working band for the last six or seven. And, you know, uh, the band probably plays up until the pandemic. We have been performing 50, 55 nights a year. Um, so we're playing like we're playing out live once every five or six days. And so the nerves thing is just kind of it's not part of it anymore. Um, I was nervous doing Rhinestone Cowboy because I didn't know that song. But uh, after that, I, I, as I said to a, a woman at work, wanted me to be an announcer for like a students against adults uh, soccer game. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. I'd love to do that. She was like, oh, thank God. I said, listen, if you need somebody to be the center of attention, I'm your man. <laughs> and so, yeah. So getting up in front of the mic, I, I, I just actually really do uh, enjoy it and thrive. One of, uh, one of the things I think that a lot of the Minute fans love about you is that you've you kind of took that ori original podcast, Jesus, and one. Now, that song's in the history. It started, like you said, back for Kirk's birthday. 
on yeah. uh, October 31st. So we're talking October 2019. Now here we are. It's going to be February 2021. <laughs> And there's still parody songs coming out all because so great. all because of what you did with Podcast Jesus. <laughs> I love it. I know it is. It's great. It, it, uh, I, I give a lot of credit to uh, to Warden and to Steve's a liar guy and to um, what's the other guy, the dude that fills in. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> a lot guy. of credit. I, I, I think they're probably more creative than I am. Um, I packed it in a while ago. I did the Kirk's death wish list, which was this summer. Um, but prior to that, I hadn't really done stuff except for sort of special requests that guys would Ned Snark got in touch and said, Hey, do this dead song parody. And Tim from Canton got in touch and said, Hey, let's do a collaboration. But I don't really, uh, so I don't really have any more ideas. And really to be perfectly honest with you, the, the parody songs over the last, you know, six, eight months, uh, forgettable. Um, <laughs> so it, it, I, I definitely got out of it just because, I sort of ran out of ideas and I was kind of, I didn't want to beat a dead horse and end up being like, and you know, being uh, a retread. With, with that in mind, like when you were talking about like over the summer, when you came out with the death, uh, death wish list, that's very hard to say. I know it was hard <laughs> to say. With, um, with kind of talk us through that process. So I went, I got the list from um, the KDP, the Kirk's death pool guy. Um, I got in touch with him and said, I got an idea and let me get, can I get a copy of the whole list? And he was like, Oh my God, this sounds like a great idea. Um, and then I just put the list in front of me and I had the REM lyrics next to it and started picking and picking and choosing the ones that just kind of worked here and the ones that worked there. Um, and then started coming up the, you know, Hank and Hank for a second time and tried to figure out how I was going to start to rip all those words in there. But it was, it was really like, all right, this piece, boom, it can go here, and I would scribble it out, and I'd write it here, and then this part can go here. The Menor's piece can fit here. The Blind Mike by his own chain, that can fit here. <laughs> you haven't had maybe the amount of hits as Steve right. the Liar Guy, but when you when it, when when we hear that something from Murchison's Mouse is coming, we know it's going to be good. So I, I know you're saying you're kind of a, a your last summer was your last song. Is there any chance that maybe some creativity <laughs> spark comes back, and then maybe in a For month sure. or two or three? For sure. You know, I will tell you the um, the band during the, the the pandemic has actually started writing originals. And I was saying to the my buddy that does the videos with me, I said, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to try to sneak in an original parody that kind of sounds like a Johnny Cash song or kind of sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song. See if I can sneak it in there and we'll get it. We'll get a Doc Ellis original Murchison's Mouse parody song collaboration. Blind Mike. Blind Mike, you know what people say. Right now he's riding Alba, but she finds out he's gay. But regardless if he drops that bomb, he'll just get back on top. Jay, can you take us back to the first time you had any interaction with the show? The very first thing we ever did that got posted or retweeted or even talked about on the show was, uh, uh, what was it, a year and a half ago? It was Kirk's birthday. And we, so Colby and I had been with the band. We had been trying to write a new album. We were working on new songs for an album. And this is before COVID was around. So we were like, we're going to spend some time writing some new songs. We're going to go into the studio, come out with an EP or a record, boom, do this. So we're in the basement and Kevin, so Colby James of Colby James and the Ramblers is actually Kevin 
from Bristol's cousin. They're like, they might be fourth or 14th cousins. They're, it's some weird Bristol, Rhode Island. It's ro- typical Rhode Island connection. They're like related somehow. So Kevin's in the base. In, it's in my basement. And we're going over some, uh, some tracks and trying to come up with some ideas. And Kevin says, uh, oh, you know what? I just got a tweet. It's Kirk's birthday today. I'm a big Kirk Minahan guy since the EEI days. You know, I'd listen to Jer- uh, Kirk and Kirk, uh, Kirk and Callahan. And before that, John, you know, uh, John Dennis, when he was on it, I, I listened to all that stuff. So uh, Kevin says, it'd be really cool if we could kind of do something for Kirk. And I was like, fuck, let's do it. And we'll retweet it. And who knows, you know, so it'll get picked up. And we did that Bruce Springsteen song. And that was just me, Colby, live in my basement. And Kevin was like, hold on, give me a second. He got his note, uh, notepad out and he's just started boom, 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 scribbling words down. It's like, in that was literally 15 to 20 minutes of work. My, uh, at the time it was my fiance, flipped the camera on and we were like, all right, record. And then it tweeted out. Like it was gone. That was it. It's in the world at that point. And that was, that was, that's how it, this whole freaking thing started with the, with the parodies. I had never done a parody song in my life. I mean, I had recorded a lot, but nothing like that. When, when you're playing, I think one thing, especially for you guys, knowing Colby James and your backgrounds a bit, you guys have some original music, you do do covers. And now you're adding this third element of a parody song, which you're, you're instrument musically, you know the chords to the songs if you've done the covers of them, but now like you're doing backup lyrics. So, and you're trying to focus, what's it like? What's it like when you're trying to play on beat, keep on time and you have Kevin over there singing about someone's cream and goo going down to their <laughs> chest. <laughs> the, the, the hardest part of the whole operation is keeping a straight face. Uh, you know, going back to that first video that we were just talking about, it's like, he's talking about all weird shit and I'm playing the drums with sunglasses on in a dark room, just trying to not laugh the whole fucking time. But it's just, like you said, Colby and I, our whole shtick when we play a duo, a lot of the times we're playing duo, like you've seen us play out at the bars in Bristol and in Providence and stuff. And um, our whole shtick is you name a song, we'll play it we'll figure it out. I mean, every song, I mean, how many chords are there in a song? We'll figure it out. There's an app for it. And we, we have iPads. We'll figure it out. We're a cheesy band like anything else. I mean, but then when Kevin's in the room and he's like, yeah, I'll play it again, but I'm going to sing my own words. That, that's, that's where, that's where shit gets adventurous. That's where it's like, okay, am I getting divorced over this song? Like what's happened here? Like, <laughs> and I mean, and you live, and, and for those who don't know, Bristol is a nice quaint, I would call it a nice quaint town. It's a nice quaint it's, seaside town. Everyone's everyone knows everyone. And yet now here you are and the winters, it's fine. Windows are closed and that, but summers, it gets a little warm in Bristol. People in Bristol yeah. already excited and, and out and about. So what, what's it like now like when you know people can hear you and you're jamming out with these parodies? Right. So what, what, what ends up happening is, uh, so in the winter, it's cool. So my, uh, my recording gig, I mean, it's portable, but my main recording setup with my drums and my amps and stuff is all in the basement of my house. In the winter, it's cool. The windows are shut. The doors are shut. My wife's the only one in the house. And even she questions what the fuck we're doing, whether we're going to jail or not that night. Kirk recognized you very early on. It's like, we're going to have a live show and Colby James and the Rambo. That's the house band. Yeah. We were psyched. <laughs> and it's, and, and actually that's a, it's a good little segue. Like now we're seeing the, the show was supposed to be in June gets pushed right. back 
thanks coronavirus. It's keep getting pushed back. Now we're looking at January 2022. Sucks, but it's is it are you guys still gonna be is there still like possibility that we we have you guys involved or do we um I'm not gonna say that we're not involved. I mean I mean the show's been pushed back what three times, four times at this point. The day that Kirk or Steve reach out and says, Hey, listen, you guys still interested? Shit, I'll I'll rearrange my schedule, our schedule. We'll we'll try to make it happen for sure. I mean, it's such huge being involved with Kirk Minahan just for my Twitter handle or the band's name or anything to be mentioned is just so huge that like how can you not want to be involved with something like that? It's just like I mean, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to our band Twitter page or band Facebook page? Just like fucking can't wait to see you guys at the Wilbur. It's like, oh right, we're playing the fucking Wilbur. Like this isn't Thames Waterside. This isn't you know. And we've been all over the country. We, we've been me and Colby, especially as a duo, have been all over the country opening for national acts and stuff like that. Like this, we've always done that for the last ten years. Now we're going to be with our band that we select. We're going to get the fucking Wilbur in Boston. Like, fuck off. There was no background check. And if they look, they'll see I'm erect. I barely stopped. If you remember, what was that when they played your first song, kind of talk about your first song and, and the first time you heard it on the show. It was a huge adrenaline rush, actually. Like I, So I went back and I cut out um, the audio of them listening to and reacting to. So it was Mama Geary's Touch. So they're listening to and reacting to it. And Kirk, I, I think, I'm pretty sure Kirk at one point says that he's going to puke. Like he's laughing so hard that he can't breathe and he thinks he's going to puke. And that, like, I, and I lost it. I was like, it was such an adrenaline rush to have, um, you know, a guy that you, that you love to listen to and think is awesome and really respect, think that something you've done is funny. I mean, it's, it was a huge adrenaline hit. And so it, it made me want to keep doing them. My second one was a disaster, though. I did a, a rap song because Steve reached out to me and was like, hey, can you do can you help Mike and I write a song for us that we can perform? And I'm like, yes. But I'm like, can you sing? No. Okay, so let me, what's a good way, <laughs> what's a good way to do it? So I was like, maybe I'll, I'll just do a rap song. So I did um, like the Steve's a Spy song to, to OPP. And I, and I have it up. Like I've got the, like a shared drive that I keep of all sorts of parody songs there. Um, people who submit it to me, I keep it for them. And it's there, but he hated it. And it was devastating. Like I had, I, it, when he, he was like, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't like it at all. And I was like, ah, uh, cause I spent a lot of time on it. And, uh, and I didn't write one for, I think, a, I don't know, probably a few weeks after that. Cause I was devastated, but I got back on the horse and just realized he's not going to do rap. I got to do a little bit more, um, you know, right down the fairway type of music, Springsteen and that type of thing. So, and one of the fun things is actually listening back to it all, going back to that kind of really first couple weeks in November when the songs were just churning out left and right. And it was even kind of said the slower songs really weren't as receptive as kind of your more upbeats. You got your Bruce's going there, obviously. And so take us to that creative process that you know you want to get in. Is it, do you think of, all right, I want to talk about Mike's mom in this, or I want, like, you, do you have your subject first and kind of find the song, or is it, oh, I like this song, let's see what words can, take us through that creative process. 
Yeah, so it's different now than it was then. So I'd heard the first song, or maybe first couple songs that came out. So it was the, um, I know we just mentioned it before the show, but it was uh, it was um, Podcast Jesus to Rhinestone Cowboy. I heard that and I'm like, oh, I, I mean, I've always had parody songs in my head. Like I, uh, I was saying this on a um, show that I did last week on the network, but I like sing to my wife. I like sing parody songs to my wife and she just rolls her eyes at me and is, thinks I'm ridiculous. But, and I just, I try to say the most inappropriate things. Like that's part of my, it's almost Tourette's, I guess. Like I, I just, my head goes to what is the most inappropriate thing you could say. And so when I heard that first one, I was like, oh, I love doing this shit. And I've got a complete studio in my house and maybe I'll try to do one. And so I, uh, so I, how did I, for that, for Mongeary's Touch, I wanted, this was right after my crying on air. So I was like, okay, I got to do something about that. And um, in my head, I'm like, I want, you know, my biggest, my best chance for success. So it should be a style or something that Kirk likes. So I did it to a Springsteen song. And, um, you know, the uh, Healing Touch, I think is what it is. I always forget now. I only think of Mongeary's Touch. But uh, so, so I knew it had to be Springsteen and I, I wrote to that. I knew the topic and I knew the, like the, that it needed to be Springsteen and I did it that way. But now when I do it or more recent ones, it's more like either I'll hear a phrase, I'll hear them talking about something and a phrase will pop in my head. And just like I do to my wife, I'll sing something. It'll just, just whatever that phrase is, I'll sing something and it'll match, you know, it'll match a, like a pop song and then I'll just, I'll just do it to that. Awesome. And I, and I guess, does, does this inspiration and love of making parody songs come from your first hit, even before the Kirk Minahan show was on Barstool Sports with your eggs and your breakfast? <laughs> yes. That's another example of it. I mean, that's not a parody song because it's not, but it's totally, you know, it's a spoofy thing. I, I've, yeah, I've always liked, I think, I don't know, it's for some strange reason I have that skill set. Maybe I'm not the, I'm maybe not the funniest person, like right off the, right off the bat. But if I write, like, I know I can write and it can be humorous. And then I've got the music skills, too, and the recording skills. It's just sort of, the, it's kind of the perfect, it's sort of the perfect thing. for I should be Weird Al is, is the deal. Like, that's my, that's my calling. And the one thing that I found interesting as the show kept going on was that very quickly, Steve's a liar guy, yourself, Murchison's master, kind of Kevin from Bristol all rose to the top and you became almost, if you submitted a song, it was getting played good or bad. So, and, and talk about that rise up of I'm just Matt Carano, the listener to now I'm Matt Carano that I have submitted this song and it's going to be, it's going to be on the air. I mean, it was surreal like to, so I think the first one, Oh, okay. So I, Chris and I, uh, who I do the podcast was, we're friends, but, but at that time, so that was like, November, I think it was November of 2019. Right. We, he'd been in New York. We barely sort of communicated after he got back. He hadn't been back to New Hampshire that long. Um, so, but I knew he was a Kirk fan. And I, once I found out that Kirk was going to be on, um, was going to go to the Barstool, was going to go on to Barstool Sports and start the new podcast, I texted him. I was like, hey, do you know about this? And he said, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So he, I knew he was listening. And then, you know, flash forward. I don't think we communicated much, but I, after it was played on air, I, I knew he would be listening. So I texted him and I'm like, Hey, Chris, did you hear my song on his show today? And he was like, what the fuck? That was you. I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, it was, it was just like unbelievable to hear. I knew a bunch of people would hear it. It was unbelievable to hear a guy that, like I said, like that I respected that I thought was hilarious 
play, you know, play my music. It's probably the most people have ever heard any sort of creative project by me, that one episode. I would once again like to thank Murchison's Mouse, Jay, and Matthew Carano for joining me. For 69 Minutes, I'm Andrew Augustus. Do you love the Kirk Minahan Show? Do you love the Kirk Minahan Show so much that you want to listen to a wrap-up show? Do you love the Kirk Minahan Show so much that you want to listen to seven wrap-up shows? Well, you're in luck. Tune into KMS Off the Record with new episodes every Sunday on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you download KMS wrap-up shows. We cover the good, the bad, and the crazy of KMS. We even kind of like Blind Mike. So check us out every Sunday. If not, well, listen to one of the other wrap-up shows. We really don't care. When you think of prank callers, you think of Jerky Boys, Sound Richard, Captain Jenks of the Howard Stern Show. Even guys like Jim Florentine and yours truly are known for prank calls. But when you think of the Kirk Menahan Show, one name comes to the forefront of elite prank callers. Tim and Canton, conceived in a phone booth, born in the mean streets of Canton, Massachusetts. Most babies had a rattle in their hand. Tim and Canton, he had a phone. I sit down with Tim and Canton and we discuss the life of a professional prank caller. Tim, how are you today? I'm doing awesome, BMD. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for sitting down with me today. So I want to get into what it takes to make a prank call and what it's all about and how this profession of yours has paid off. When did you make your first prank call? First actual prank call? Well, I've been told by my mother that it was when I was a baby or a young child, maybe around four, I would make pretend. Uh, I didn't think I was pretending, but I would use one of those, you know, those play telephones when you're a little baby, and that I would uh, be calling people and talking to them. Tim, what are you doing? Mom, I'm just doing some prank calls. But my first real prank call, like uh, other than to my family and friends and screwing with them, uh, into a radio show was probably, uh, not probably, it was definitely in the 80s, and I believe it was EEI, if I'm not mistaken. Back, um, I can remember, oh, had to be early 90s when um, Magic Johnson, the news was about Magic Johnson. Um, he had unfortunately contracted um, HIV, and he had... He, that was all the news at that time, and I can remember calling it to EEI, just just completely making up, as Al Michaels would say, fossical stuff, Fascinating. just to throw them off track. So, so what was your childhood like growing up as a prank caller? Very busy, because uh, my, my hands are exceptionally, my fingers are exceptionally strong, because, as you know, I'm a little bit older than most of the Minna fans, so back in that day, believe it or not, we did still have rotary phones. Wow. So you would have to dial the one. Oh, you didn't have to dial one. There was no area code back then. Okay. So you just dial the phone number. So um, and then they came out with what are called princess phones. Those are the, you know, the touchtone phones. Yeah. You just pick up off the wall. Um, and so uh, back then, the beauty was there was no caller ID. Hmm. So you could call anybody. 
and they could wow. not figure out who called them. And it was a free for all. Uh, a few things we would do as kids uh, that was stupid. One was prank. You could you could prank call anybody. Yeah. Nobody could tell where the call came from. Hmm. So that was outstanding. So when kids were collecting baseball cards, what what were you collecting as a phone child? books? Phone books. Phone books. Hmm. White pages, yellow pages, B two B, you hmm. name it, baby. I knew I knew back then it was not Verizon. It was New England Tel, and I knew the local rep for New England Tel, and I used to get the early edition of the B2B phone book. Wow. And I would make prank phone calls. And yes, yes, did I call restaurants and place orders and never pick them up? I did. Everybody's wow. got a dark past, and I have mine. Hmm. What, did, what did your parents think about your fascination with making prank calls? Well, they completely neglected me, neglected me, so it didn't really matter. It's not like they knew. Um <laughs> Well, it's funny you ask that because uh, one of my favorite my favorite <laughs> targets was my own yeah. family. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's talk talk about of, that. It's where I would cut my teeth. I uh, again. So this this is like a history lesson for some. Yeah. So way back before cell phones, you had only landlines, and when you'd call, you get a busy signal. Right, because you're calling your own selves. Right. Well, if you call in someone's house and they're on the phone and it's busy. Well, a guy like me, he figured out a way to get through. So I would just call the operator. And I have a lot of sisters. I have a pretty big family. And my sisters would be on the phone all the freaking time. It got so bad. We had allotted phone times for everybody in the family because we only had one line. Oh, wow. And and I'm younger. I'm seven out of nine. So they, they were all older and they were all talking to their friends and boyfriends and all that crap. And so uh, I would call the operator and, and say, I have an emergency breakthrough. And the operator would break into the line and say, we have an emergency call. And my sisters would get pissed. Because, of course, I'd just hang up. I'd do it from my friend's house just to piss them off. Right. Um, and my poor mom, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed prank calling her because she never caught on. And then I'd come home and tell her it was me. Uh, not to the level of Kirk where I'd say grandma just got killed in a car crash. Uh, never done that, but I would call as if I was someone that worked for the town and say, I know I got one of my sisters once and called her and said I worked for her town. And, and this is before recycling and stuff. And I said we have to go return her trash because um, she had put something in the trash. It wasn't supposed to be in there. We're just going to leave it in her driveway. And she was pissed. She's calling wow. the town. Why are you bringing it? You know, so I, I gave her a fake name and. Hmm. Yeah, I used to call my mother. I'd be at work, and there was a payphone at, at the job I had at this corner store. And I'd just feed that thing with dimes and prank call people. I'm talking 530 in the morning, 11 at night. Uh, yeah. I used to prank my mother, hmm. uh, prank my high school. You name it. Everything was fair game. That's fascinating. So let's talk yeah, about Yes, it's utterly fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it is it's a, a portrait so of good. lunacy, if you want to be honest. <laughs> does this <laughs> it's it's a cry for help <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk prank calls who were your influences growing up in the prank call world who do you look uh, up to there was so um way back when it'd be jerky boys for sure oh, i can remember yeah. You know, I don't think the Jerky Boys are much older than me, but I can remember <laughs> um, the Jerky Boys tapes. 
came mm-hmm. out and we would listen mm-hmm. to them in my car and, and yeah. at people's houses. I just love me and my friends loved it. Uh, so they definitely an influence, you know, gave me ideas of, of other things that I could try. Um, I mean, uh, and then when you, let's see, Jim Florentine, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I, he's underrated. He's, I agree. Yes. Phenomenal prank caller. I mean, that's what he's known for. And I guess his stand up. I mean, his stuff on Boston, even I'm like, oh, I love this yeah. guy, but yeah. oh my God. What happened to him? Yeah. But his prank calls are unbelievable. That yeah. is, to me, the Jerky Boys seemed like they were uh, just not off the cuff. They definitely prepared, but they were more right. about the reaction. And Jim was, and this is going to sound so stupid, yeah. it was more of, it seemed like more of a science. Florentine yeah. would plan it out. He had co-conspirators. He would think about who's he calling and, and what do they do or who's calling him. And right. and he had inbound prank calls. That's yep. incredible to me. Yes. I know you've done one. I've done some. Yes. Those, you have to be on your toes. And that that's just legendary. And then yeah. and then two of my favorites, and you and I talk about this all the time, yeah. oh, Richard yeah. and Sal, Sal and Richard. I've, I've sat on a Saturday mm-hmm. for two or three hours having some drinks with friends that are also yes. Howard they Stern have, fans yeah. and just listen to calls. Oh, yeah. They have so much. Sal and Richard just... There's just so, so creative stuff out there that that too, and they they inspire a lot of my ideas as well. A little um, bit of crank yank is not too much. Yeah, it's, they you know, have some good stuff. They do, they do, and I hear it here and there. But I I'd say the initial influence was definitely Jerky Boys. I mean, they they were brilliant. They not because of the calls they made, but mm-hmm. because they put it on a tape and and sold it, and it was everybody knew who the Jerky Boys were. Do you remember when you? Submitted your first prank call to the Kirk Minahan show? To the Kirk show? Yeah. Hmm. It was probably the 50, that's a good question. I'd have to look in my own history notes, but mm-hmm. probably the uh, 50, 50 state challenge. Although yeah. I believe I had submitted a few just prank calls mm-hmm. to random places prior to then. That's a good question. I, I, you know, you'd think I'd know that. I. I don't. Mm. I don't actually know what the first one was. There's so many, and and there there's been a lot of bad calls. A lot. So, <laughs> so you talk, you talk about bad calls. What what sticks with you more, a good call or a bad call? A bad call, hands Why? down. I uh, because I I I, uh, I will as Mutt would say I will one thousand percent admit. <laughs> I do giggle at some of my own stuff. Not what I'm saying, because I don't even like to hear my own voice, but what the reaction is makes me giggle because I'm thinking, this guy fell for this, and it makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. And um, But, yeah, a bad call definitely sticks with me because um, I just see it as a missed opportunity to, to have really you know gotten a laugh because in the end it's all about just getting a laugh for me that's really the only reason i do it it's it's funny to me so how how does it make you feel when your call does get played on the kirk minahan show and you get positive feedback from kirk i get a little tingle up my leg and blood starts rushing to my nether regions i love it of course i'm not gonna lie about it i freaking love it i i i and, and again there are uh, a lot of times i i can't listen to myself because I hate my voice. I know I have a, a nasally, high-pitched, thick Boston accent. And when I hear it, I'm like, ugh. I sound like every mugsy douchebag that I know. Um, 
that I can't stand. But I love when they play because that it, it to me it just means that um, they thought it was funny, and I'm really just trying to be funny. I, I love doing that stuff. Okay, so let's talk about your prank calls a little bit. How do you how do you formulate your premise? How do you come up with your ideas when you make prank calls? Um, it it uh it depends on who I'm calling. If it's a radio station, I'll just listen a, a a little bit. Like if I don't know the show, I'll listen to the the show a little bit before I call in. You know, I'll listen for like ten minutes. It's it's such like Kirk has been saying. It's such a um repetitive model that they all or the same model they all use. So it's not hot. I do love the more local type shows like KBK in New Hampshire and Keene. I love mm-hmm. because they do total local talk. Uh, they'll talk about like a new rotary or an intersection going in by some plaza. I love that stuff because I also know that they're usually more gullible. Um, so I'll, I'll listen to a little bit. If it is to a business, uh, which I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to screw up someone's business, obviously. So I make the calls quick and they're not very involved. But I'll just think in my head, okay, what can I get from this? Rea- what reaction can I get that might be really funny, really absurd, wacky, um, that would make people laugh? So I'll just, you know, if I'm calling, like the bank, when I called the bank and the whole thing was about, can you take that to the bank? Man, that was a long process. That was probably 15 minutes of talk time. That's a long time to be on the phone with somebody <laughs> just to get to the few points that I wanted. And, and I've mentioned it before. I'll edit it because, one, I talk a lot. Two, I get way too involved in the actual topic. So I know my own shortcomings at this point, so I just cut that crap out. But I feel like I have to sometimes soften someone up or convince them. One time I was calling uh, some college, and I put that in the context of a business, and it was about time zones. And this woman was, she was, she was interrogating me. Now, who are you with? Why are you interested in this? What do you want to? And so that one fell on its flat on its face because I'm, I'm looking at online and I'm Googling like the area because my accent, I know it gives it away, but I'm saying, yeah, I'm just in the area. And I usually have a town picked out already. And this woman knew the area. She said, that's not where our building is. So um, I'll do a little prep on what the business is. And then I'll just try to marry it to what am I looking for is what's the joke. And like Kirk says, you got to go three layers deep. So if I can do one that's great and it's a 20-second call, fantastic. If it takes a little while but it's three layers deep and it's pretty funny, awesome. Even better. Has Kirk given you feedback on any of your calls or have you only the feedback you've received has been through the show itself? No, just through the show. Just through the show. He's And, and the other thing is Steve gets knocked for certain things. And I, and I, I can speak from my own experience. There are calls I've sent him that he hasn't played, and then I've heard my calls again, and I've yet to disagree with them um, because I listen back and I'm like, hmm, that really wasn't funny. And another time, like, he'd said, eh, it's, you know, it's not the time for this type of prank call. It wasn't timely. And and so, um, no, I just get, you know, I get the feedback from what I hear them say, and then I take that and incorporate it into uh, whatever I might be doing. The one thing I've learned, and any advice I give anybody, same with the, they've said it all, parody songs. It's got to be timely. If it isn't timely, it doesn't matter how funny we all think it is, they won't play it. But if it's timely, like I listen to the show, like everybody else says when it comes out, and I might do a prank call that day so it gets played on the next show, because if it goes two, three days, it's going to be stale. So when you talk about timely... What do you mean? 
or timely and topical, whatever it is that they're discussing for that day, there might be something that popped up on the show that they want to get into. Um, You know, there might be an issue. uh, They might be talking about the globe, the Red Sox, whatever it might be, whatever it might be, or or something that's really topical. Um, And it's, it's just jumping on that. It's, it is just uh, exploiting whatever that topic was so that it's still somewhat fresh when they play it. And if it if it just languishes out there, and Makes I, sense. yeah, and I wait a few days, it's not funny. That's why I like Tradio. Tradio is easy because Tradio you can one, it's easy, you know that, and two, you don't have to be timely. You can with some stuff, which makes it funny. But with Tradio, it's more about how absurd can I be? And I and someone had given me an idea. I still haven't done it yet, but I, I got to get it played. Um, but you can bring up things from the past, like I'd mentioned once about Kirk was it had spoke you know i have the notes so it's easy for me to look up and i'll just look at some of my old notes and i'll use like his <laughs> his mother's cell phone number um sensei nathan nunchucks you know he mentioned once that harry's sensei was named nathan so i just cooperated you know the uh dot from from chateau was their favorite server and i think i incorporated that so that's not necessarily timely but it's something that hits with kirk or with steve from his past that that works but radio is an easy way to do that before we wrap things up um you made news recently uh being a nominee for the hall of fame i did yeah man um how does that make you feel giddy <laughs> no you- uh i'm i love it i would i'm not gonna fucking lie i don't care if people are gonna say oh middle-aged men chasing club whatever i don't care I, I, Kirk, I've been doing this forever. Kirk has given me an outlet and I'm absolutely flattered, uh, that I've been nominated and I think it's awesome. I just think the whole concept is so awesome. It's so funny. Um, and frankly, what it says to me is the voting's in May. I need to turn it up. This, this, I get a lot, a lot of projects going on, as you know, um, but I need to get back to my roots and get some really good prank calls. And I've got some ideas for this week that I think will be pretty good. So I'm looking forward to it. What I want to do is not rest on laurels. What I want to do is right. hopefully when it comes time to vote, people will say, you know what? Guy's been contributing. He's been giving content to the show. It's been funny. Um, so, and, and it, I just think it's uh, awesome, the whole thing that they're doing. <clears throat> do you want to make a call now? Do I want to, or have I been waiting to? Because <laughs> I've been waiting to. So let's see. Uh, Let me try this one. This is dicey because I'm. I'm. It's hyper local. Okay. So you never know if I might know someone there. <laughs> let's see. Can you hear it? Okay. Oh, it's fine. Okay. So sexy when you say that. <laughs> yeah it sounds like they might have closed so if you have time let me look up where would it be Arizona alright let's see uh, well let's try Buckeye Arizona <laughs> let me try one last number <laughs> alright one more one more <laughs> Hello. 
Now I'll do the Kirk Live the tape if they pick up. Okay. Come on. Hey there. I'm sorry. What was your name? Alex. Hey, Alex. My name's Tim Live the tape. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I just had some questions. I'm new to the area, and I was I've been a Planet Fitness member and uh, back east where I had, uh, where I came from, and um, Back there, I had a trainer. Do you have personal trainers? So currently, because of COVID, we yeah. aren't offering any of the training classes uh, with the trainers. However, we do have our app, which has oh, okay. a couple workouts that you can go with. Yeah. Do you so for the equipment? Do you have a shoulder press machine? I believe we do. Yeah. Um, we do have a couple of things uh, for shoulders. Yeah. I just don't know exactly what you what you're looking for. Uh, I'm really, it's, I'm really into shoulder presses. So mm-hmm. do you have, so the, there's no trainer that can help with that. Do you have any sort of like in gym competition for shoulder presses? Do you, do you track what people are doing? Cause personally I'm, I'm at a personal best. I had done 270 about two months ago and now I'm up to 320. Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure what our, like our weights go up to. Yeah. Um, yeah. 320 might be what we're at actually. It might be the max. Also, these machines have up to, I believe it's like 350. 350? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think most of them, that's what they go up to. So I'd be able to continue to progress up to 350 potentially. Do you do you mm-hmm. know, are there a lot of people who do shoulder presses at your gym? I mean, a lot of the guys that do come in here, I know shoulder is a lot of what they do. Shoulders yeah. and arms are Part of their workout. the biggest thing here. And do you know if there's any sort of like competitions? I know where I come from, we had somewhat of a little mini competition on shoulder presses, which is really my thing. Yeah, honestly, uh, do you think I'm I could get sure. something like that going? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Do you? Do, well, if I join, and I would, would you guys be open to me just leaving my name if people wanted to have a shoulder press competition at some point? Uh, I mean, I think. I mean, we. I think that's something we can uh, ask my manager. Just okay. I'm not sure. You know, as far as like advertising other things. No, um, it's not definitely. It's not really about advertising. I, I just I'm looking to compete against some other people that are into shoulder presses because yeah. I'm totally into it. I mean, 320 is not bad if I might say so myself. If you know what I mean, Alex, it's yeah. a lot. I'm, I'm actually I, I I kind of surprised you're not impressed. I see a lot of impressed. members, you know, discussing th- with each other. So I. Yeah. I mean, I do think you have a, a great opportunity. Oh, okay. People in here. Yeah. Are you, yeah. Are you impressed at all that I did 320? It's, I'm not I a, am. That's a pretty high number. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not a big guy either. I'm not that tall. Um, yeah, and that's I, a big number. It, it, well, thank you. I've, I've been working on it. Okay, and when would be a good time to come down and, and sign up and maybe get some more information on the shoulder press machine? I mean, we're open uh, We're open all the way up to 9 today. Um, okay. But literally, what about whenever t- you want to come in, any of us can, can show you around and kind of you know, give you a, a more details on what we offer here. Oh, okay. Uh, I was thinking tomorrow night because it's twenty. You're still twenty four hours, right? So currently, we're not again because of COVID. We have yeah. um, limited hours, but okay. Monday through Fridays we're open from four a.m. to eleven p.m. So oh, you, okay. you can stop by any time tomorrow, and we'll be more than happy to show you around. Well, I'm thinking maybe because it's you know I in, I want to make sure no one's on the shoulder press machine, so I probably should come in either really early, like four thirty, or maybe late, like ten ten thirty. To ensure that I get my yeah, just because space. yeah, because yeah. I know like um in the afternoons 
anywhere from six to nine is always um, like our prime pretty hour, busy. So that's when we're most busy. And I would imagine a lot of people doing shoulder presses then. So uh huh. I know. I know our morning times are kind of a little more laid back. So if right. you want to get in here and really, you know, work on your stuff, I would suggest the morning. Mostly in my shoulders. Yeah. Uh huh. I okay. would suggest the morning. Yeah. Okay, and in the last thing I'd say, this is going to sound wacky, but in my old gym, because I held the record, they renamed the machine after me. They call it the Jared Press. If, oh, man. <laughs> if I top out, that's why I was asking about the competition. If I'm able to top out and do the most weight on the shoulder press, would you locally be open to maybe calling it the Jared Press? I mean, if it was up to me, I would. Um, okay, I just don't Fair know enough. how, you know, how... Planet Fitness goes about that stuff. <laughs> well, we can. I can talk to the manager, but all right. So I'll stop yeah, in either sure. super early tomorrow and most likely late at night, so I can get my time on the machine. Awesome. Alrighty, sounds good. Thanks so much, Alex. Have a nice rest of the day. Yeah, no problem. You as well. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Oh. Have you ever had a genius thought that you knew the world needed to hear? Are you fearful as soon as you hit send, the internet will cast down upon you and force you to become cancelled? Well, the staff here at the Augustus School for the Socially Woke are here to help. Our founder was cancelled by the woke mob for tweets that were nearly a decade old, and he is now taking his experience to help others from suffering the same fate. Take our classes such as sharing political opinions that will get you Twitter praise, how to riot responsibly, and of course, our most popular, reporting your enemies to get them banned from Twitter. All those classes and more are filling up fast, so sign up now at GetWokeWithGoose.com. Stop being part of the problem and become part of the solution. As creator of the Minifan Show, DEC, or as he is now known, Matt J, was a pioneer of Minifan content creation. Fast forward only a few years and the Minifan show is over, and Matt is on to a new project. In our interview together, we talk about the Minifan show, his old partner MHB, his break from content creation in the KMS world, including his accusations of sponsor poaching, and much more. Alright, so first question, the most obvious one. How did you start listening to Kirk Minahan? I started listening to him on the weekends on WEEI. So I would tune, I wasn't necessarily tuning in just for Kirk. Uh, I was stupidly listening to EEI on the weekends because I guess there wasn't much else to listen to. And his voice caught me. I liked listening to Bradfoe, but whatever reason, I knew Kirk was on when I heard his voice. Hard to say that he had, he had a voice. I'm like, oh, I got to listen to this guy. And he always had really good stuff. And I think the one, the, the first time Kirk caught my attention was when he did the interview with Jack Edwards and they just roasted Jack Edwards. <laughs> it was a weekend show. It was, uh, it was with Bradford. Mm -hmm. oh, and that's geez. the first time I noticed him. I'm like, whoa, they're doing some fun things here. I admittedly started listening to Kirk um, a little bit after that. Once he was on DNC, I always say that uh, I remember the day that he got the job or that um, Dale announced that he didn't have his job anymore and, and Kirk was sliding into those spots. Dude. I remember thinking that was a good decision because, oh, it's great they're bringing him in because he's really good on the weekends. So I think it's pretty well known that you're a huge Stern fan. Do you see any similarities between Kirk and Stern? I would say yes and no. There are some similarities and then not others. Uh, with Stern, Stern did a lot of pre-recorded stuff that was great. He had a joke writer. He had people. He had like a cast of characters around him. 
And I don't see Kirk being that type of guy. Uh, would it, it would be fantastic if he had a joke man there to do stuff, but I don't think that's who Kirk is. But in terms of stirring it up and also, you know, making fun of authority and roasting everybody, yeah, there's there's a lot of that. Why did you create the Minifan Show? Uh, I created the Minifan Show because it's something I wanted to listen to. I thought about the old shows with Stern, with the, the Howard 100 channel, the intern show, the wrap-up show, the Superfan Roundtable, and I thought this would be a great thing to do. I wouldn't want to listen to fans talking about Kirk Menahan because this is what I talk to my friends about. And since nobody else was doing it, well, why don't I just do it? Nobody's going to listen, but I could do it. I can get some people together, and let's just see what happens. So you created the Minifan Show, and, and was MHB the, the first co-host? MHB was a guy that I wanted to have on sort of as a round table. So I had a bunch of guys in my head that I thought would be really good on this. MHB, Steve from Providence, uh, Tim and Canton. There were some other people. I asked Breadline. Breadline didn't want to do it. There, the people didn't want to do it. Like 617 didn't want to do it. And I thought, let, let me get some of the people I kind of interact with. Maybe you'll come on. And I just found it really easy to talk to MHB. Some of the other people I felt more uncomfortable with, but I could always have a conversation with MHB. That was like really, really easy. And he just kind of stuck. And I think I was smart enough to know that MHB is pretty talented and interesting. Maybe I should just have him on as much as I can. When's the last time you spoke to MHB? Uh, I don't know if I spoke, but he texted me this weekend. He was looking for a good cable rate. <laughs> hey, can you get me cable for like a, like a cheap, cheap uh, price? And I think that's what, uh, but yeah, we, we talk every once in a while. Did MHB ever explain really like why he walked away? Was it because was it somebody was bothering him at work? Not really, but it more had to do with not one particular thing, but I think a million things. I think it's just a case of he got a new job. He got really, really busy. John is a, John's a strange guy. He is what makes him really interesting, which is what also makes him kind of frustrating as well. So he got a new job and he was working heavy hours and it was a long commute. And I think he really just didn't have time for it. And I think he got tired of the show as well. And instead of just saying, hey, I don't want to do it anymore, he just kind of flaked a little bit and, and walked away. Am I remembering correctly that you guys would say, hey, let's record Wednesday night. And then, you know, Wednesday night would come around and he wouldn't be around. <laughs> there was a lot of that. <laughs> so there was a lot of, hey, you want to do a show? Yeah, when? Can we do it in five minutes? Yeah. Uh, yeah okay, that's... I'll run downstairs. Mm -hmm. And at the end, there was a lot of, I'll do it, then he's not there, then he can't do it, then he's spaced. We could do it at like 10 p.m. We can do it at 10.30 p.m. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't want to be up to like 10.30 p.m. Yeah. So I think it's just a case of he just, he lost interest with Kirk's show. And he was super busy, and he didn't feel like he really wanted to just do podcasting anymore. So he kind of walked away December 2019. Obviously, you guys made a ton of content. You you made mm -hmm. a, a fantastic wrap-up show that, that everybody this year was yearning for. They, they were wondering, like... Uh, Why? That wrap-up show that, that they had this year was something that I couldn't hold a candle to. <laughs> the Justin Justin's inflection and his energy... It's like Crazy Eddie back in the 80s. This is like uh, Billy Mays before he died, before he coked out and died. That's what I heard when I heard Justin. It wasn't as, it wasn't as, as like Dan the Man Levitan in uh, Good Morning Vietnam just going greetings and salutations. That was about the worst piece of shit I think I've ever heard in my life. Is I had true? people texting me and saying, 
You want to smile? Just listen to the first two minutes. <laughs> Is it true you reached out to Kirk to, to offer your services? Like I did. Well, um, I reached I, out to Kirk ahead of time, and I said, after I listened to it, I sent him a text. I'm like, hey, um, you know, if you needed help, I would have helped you. Are uh, you not still that, listening like, to the show, though? No. So not trying to be a dick, but like, how could you help if you're not listening to the show? Well, part of it was me kind of trolling him because he would have had to have known that that year in review was just absolute garbage and Justin doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, he said so. So part of it, but I'm mean, in, in, in legitimately, I have a lot of stuff there. And if they needed help, yeah, I would have helped them. I would have helped if they asked. Um, but it was also to troll him to say, you know, Justin <laughs> did kind of a crappy job. And it took him about a week. And then he responded to me with like a flurry of stuff. He, like he, he clearly was pissed that I that I reached out to him. The only reason, like, obviously that I know is that is because he mentioned it on the show. Uh, oh, I did? If, yeah, I don't know if it was a show he got back when they got back. Or, no, it must have been because, it, you know, when else would it, they wouldn't wait three days to talk about the wrap up. So, uh, so yeah, he talked about it and he said, yeah, D all he said, though, was that DEC reached out after to try to help. And um, you reached out to say that to offer your services or like, oh, you could have helped. But then he basically just said the same thing. Well, you're not listening, so how could you have helped? You know, so was, that was really no, cool. no. It was it was a lot more pointed than that. Like, <laughs> you know, not for nothing, but you said you don't like the show anymore. So why would we ever think of asking you? And I responded back saying, oh, that's a fair point. And then he continued on with like ranting about like, I just don't understand. Why would you do that? Why would you? Say I'm just like, wow. I, clearly, you looked at this for a week, and it got under your skin for a week. Because there was no reason you even had to respond to me. The 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 only part of that that he gave us was up to fair point. Like like. So well, that's what he likes to do. Sometimes he'll twist the message a little bit of what happened to suit his own needs and make them look a little better. We're talking about MHB twenty nineteen. Your wrap up in the end of twenty nineteen. Fast forward nine months, and the Minifan show is dead. Can you explain to us what happened again? Yeah, there was some stuff that happened behind the scenes. So again, it was it was a bunch of different things. Uh, the first thing was I had gotten some sponsors on the show. So doing that show, there are, as I'm sure you can attest to, buddy, that when you do a podcast, there are expenses associated with it. There's a hosting service. There's microphones. There's things that go into it. There's the time that you put into it. And I was able to line up some sponsors. I wasn't making, wasn't making big cash. Some of them I was making like 10 bucks for every thousand people who listened. So I'd walk away maybe 20 bucks a show, 30 bucks a show, 10 bucks a show, but it adds up. And I put, I put that money away towards like capital improvements and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he had blessed me going and monetizing the show. I'm like, great. So Manscaped reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in doing something with them. And I said, sure. And when I got the Manscaped sponsorship, which they used to support Kirk's show. Mm -hmm. Behind the scenes, Kirk got a little randy with that. He was not very happy. Him and Steve, behind the scenes in a chat thread, uh, started to pile on and it wasn't really a good feeling. They talked about it on the show, but they kind of talked about it in code on the show as well, where I kind of got the impression that it's, you know, it's a bit, but it's also not a bit. And I could tell that it was getting under his skin. And at that point, I kind of realized that if Kirk wanted to, he could chase away my audience. If Kirk wanted to, he could chase away or hurt a sponsor. And I really didn't want to be in a position to be dependent on one person. And at that point, 
there were things that were happening on the show which was making it more work to listen to just to do a show. And I just kind of all at once realized I, I don't want to be dependent on this one guy. I don't want to deal with his whims that if one day he decides I can make a little money, it's fine. And then another day, now nah, I'm just going to choose to squash you because I can. I didn't want to be dependent on that. And so I looked at him saying, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. If I want to do some podcasting, let me do something else and fly on my own. During that time, did something like like the show laughed at like a little bit, um, well, kind of like a lot of it. You accused the show of like trying to poach advertisers. That yes. Can you explain your position on that? Because like I think the company was Red Dogs. If I I could cut that if you don't want me to say that. If you don't want me to say the company. No, you can say that. But but so, yeah. So the the company was Red Dogs, and you know the the rate that Kirk Minahan is getting is different than the rate that the Minifan show is getting. Sure. Even if it's the same rate, mm -hmm. you're going to be buying at a higher. You're gonna you're gonna spend more money, even if it's the same rate because Kirk has a bigger audience than I did. But it was dickish the way Steve approached <laughs> me and said it wasn't even. Hey, we got Red Dogs. It's like Zoink. Uh, I got it was it was a semi snotty text that he sent to me when he got Red Dogs. Now, do you, do you think the show did that just to fuck with you, or just or just I don't because... think it's just to fuck with me. I think Steve would do something like that to say. Oh, I listened to the Menafan show. He's got a sponsor. I'll just call him. It's an, it's an easy, low-hanging fruit thing. And that's Steve's the low-hanging fruit guy. Do, do you want to expand Colin on would tell you that. Do you want to expand on that? On Steve being low-hanging fruit guy? Well, no. He's Instead of going out and getting a sponsor on his own, he's going to listen to my show and say, oh, he's got a sponsor. I can just call him up and get him. And if they cancel because they don't have money for both of us, then so be it. Did you ever go back and listen to those shows, um, like where, where Kirk addresses this? No, never had an interest in it. I yep. didn't want to sit there and, and listen to myself get flogged. Just wasn't worth it. And the reason that you knew that that was going on is, is a friend reached out. Is that right? Yeah, and it was, it was not the friend that Kirk was addressing. So it wasn't Chris from Wakefield? It was not Chris from Wakefield. When's the last time you listened to KMS? Uh, that's a good question. September? Oh, September, wow. It was around the time Blind Mike left. Was that September? Blind Mike left the uh, Labor Day show or the show just after Labor Day? Yeah, it was uh, around then. Have you spoken to Blind Mike since then? I've texted him. What did you guys talk about? I texted him a bunch of times just to see how he's doing. Really just, hey, Mike, how you doing? Mike, thinking of you. Uh, he reached out to me later saying, hey, did something go on like with you and Kirk? And I said, yeah. And I, I walked through the same scenario I just did with you now. And that's the last that we've talked. I reached out to him at the, just before he was going to do his new podcast. And I said, if you need any help, I'm here to help you. And he said, nope, I'm good. And that's the last I've talked to him. Have you been keeping track of like the, the Minifan world? From time to time. I see it in my Twitter feed. I had to go and mute a lot of people because there's a lot of vile people in the Miniverse. Not listening to Kirk's show anymore has been good on my mental health from that aspect because there are people who are just totally out of their minds mm -hmm. and I don't miss them. But I do miss the guys who uh, I'm close to. Guys like Blind Mike's dad, Tim and Canton, Steve from Providence. Those are the, off the top of my head, those are the people who I have regular contact with. I don't even necessarily dislike Mayo anymore because once you understand that Andy Mayo is Andy Mayo and he is who he is and he's, he's just, you can, you can argue with him about the, the color of the sky. You could probably 
you could turn him if he started off and saying the Capitol insurrection on July and January 6th was a travesty towards this country. And you went to him and said, I don't know that. That's what he'd say. I don't know. Yeah. Or something like, like he could start with that. And if you argued with him, you could probably get him to turn around and say, look, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to this country. You're the one who's wrong. That's just his instinct. But, you know, in the end, Andy Mayo is just freaking harmless. And he's entertaining when he acts like when he gets nuts, he is entertaining. He's is, just frustrating to deal with. Is he one of the guys you have muted? Uh, no, I unmuted him. I mute and unmute people. Mm -hmm. I saw something. He said something nice. I'm like, all right, I'll unmute the guy. So I'm going to read you a tweet from Andy Mayo and then ask you a couple questions about it. So Mayo said a few weeks back, is anyone going to point out that real Matt J got crucified for pointing <laughs> out the show wasn't as fun and lighthearted anymore, only for Kirk to turn around this week and say that he made a conscious decision to make the show more fun and lighthearted. Did you yeah, see that's that when I unblocked him or unmuted him. <laughs> What's that one? Uh, yeah, I was going to ask what your initial reaction is, but obviously it's he, he gets an unmute. I, I found it humorous. Do you think that your point had any effect on, on Kirk's decision? My point? Like, like oh, the, I, 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 mean, don't, it's, I don't it's enter Kirk's wild. mind for that at all. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think something happened with Andy that he got it in his head, and I was a good wedge to mm -hmm. drive in there to drive home his point. You know, I, I was just, I was fodder for his point, but it amused me nonetheless. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk has said on the pod that, he, that his decision come, came from um, the, the gravity of the, of their special project and like how heavy it's, it's weighing on him, like, like the stuff that they're investigating. So he's, he wants to go in and make the show like fun because he's like, it's, it's an escape. You've mentioned your new podcast a couple of times. You want to, do you want to just tell us about that? Like, give us yeah, I think it, I, th I think it's great for Mena fans because I'd say ninety percent of them are addicted <laughs> to something. So this is the one for you to do. We're all addicted to Kirk at the minimum. Yeah, I walked around that event at Saco. I had one guy who we were in there for forty minutes, and he was like grabbing my junk and stuff and telling me how drunk he was. Now I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm just going to say it rhymes with Steve and Providence. But this new <laughs> podcast is called "You Are Not Alone: A Recovery Podcast," and you're not going to get the old DEC on this. This is a little bit more serious. This is like one-to-one -one with alcoholics and addicts where we talk about, you know, what was your life like before alcohol? How did you find recovery? What is your recovery? And then also topics. So if you're not an alcoholic or you don't have a problem, you might not find it interesting, although you might. If you do have a problem or you think you have a problem, you're probably going to find it somewhat helpful. The audience is far smaller than it was before. I'm not going to be able to monetize this like before, nor would it make sense to monetize it in the same way because it would mix the message. But I knew this was something that I'm also really passionate about. It's something else that is true about me. And I'm like, you know what? Let's see if I can do this with my crew in recovery and make a difference. So that's, that's what the new podcast is about. Um... There, people in the Miniverse have ex, have expressed negative sentiments towards you over you not starting a new RSS feed for your new podcast. What do you have to say to those people? D did you ever consider starting a new RSS feed? All right. So what does Barstool do when they start new podcasts? They yeah, use the they, same RSS feed. They did that with Stephen Che, right? Yeah. I, I talked to MHB about it. Uh, actually, MHB was the guy who told me, use the same RSS feed. I talked to him, I go, what do you think you do? He goes, it's better business to use that same feed. It's what Barstool does. And I own the feed. 
I'm not going to have big numbers just because I have that feed because it's a totally different podcast. People are going to hear it and say, oh, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. I'm going to unsubscribe. And that's fine. There will be some people who are like, you know what, this is for me. Uh, I am in the process of moving all the MetaFan stuff off to a different feed just because I don't want them commingling. And I just want to archive it just because I'm proud that it's out there. I still think it's it's good stuff, but it's it's my feed. And I really don't give a shit if anybody is pissed off over the fact that I'm that that was the thing that boggled me is so you're getting angry that I'm using my property the way I want to use my property. Now, and they're like, well, he's monetizing his new podcast from the old audience. There's not been one damn commercial that I've run on my new podcast. Now it's coming totally out of my pocket from the savings I built up. If anything, maybe I monetized the old podcast so I could do the thing that was the labor of love. But I don't know. If you don't like the fact that I'm using that feed, don't listen. Go listen to something else. Do you anticipate yourself ever uh, making a return to, to as a listener of the Kirk Minahan show? Uh, not immediately. Um, so I, I kind of want to be careful here. I feel like I was bashing Kirk, and now I feel bad about that. Uh, I want him to be successful. And I think part of my frustration sometimes with him is I'd like him to be something he's not. I see him as more talented than a Joe Rogan and would like him to have those type of numbers and stroke. I don't think that's what he wants for himself, so I should kind of let that go. Uh, I have dreams of calling in sometime, of just calling in with a five-second phone call with a quick joke and getting out. That, I will I, tell you the fact that there are all these little fan shows mm-hmm. makes my heart warm. I love it. I saw that you have this podcast, uh, the boys who do anal have their <laughs> podcast, and I'm like, this is fantastic. I love the fact that the fan base is so engaged and people are putting out this content of, of different spins on what the Kirk Minahan world is. It's a was, wonderful thing. That was actually my next question. I, I, do you have any hard feelings for, for guys like us? Obviously, anal was established no, no, no. before you left, but like we basically used your vacuum to like to like jump into the world, you know? You should. If I'm not there and there's still a, there's still a desire for that type of content, go and do it. Just because I was doing the content doesn't mean other people shouldn't do it. I love the fact that you're doing this. I like that uh, the guys who do anal, I'm still close to too. I like the guys who do anal. Those guys, <laughs> I hate the name of that podcast. I, I would use all aboard all the time. It just drives me nuts, that anal thing. But I love the fact that people are doing that. Uh, if in some way I paved the way and gave people the idea of, hey, let's do a podcast on that, and that makes me feel good. If I'm not doing it, it's no skin off my back. And if I am doing it, so what? I think the more the merrier, because I think everybody wants to hear this stuff from a different perspective. After your, for lack of a better phrase, breakup with, with KMS, do, did you uh, regret anything that, that you've done for the show, specifically like, like painting yourself as a pedophile, which of, of course nobody really thinks you are, or, or allowing them to portray you as like a bad father? <laughs> no, not at all. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun. And, I, and I, I put the content out there willingly. I don't regret anything that I've done. It was a lot of fun to do that. Um, I was a listener of the show 
And I used to dream in my car when I was in the car that I was sitting in on the show and I got a chance to sit in on that show. I mean, it's absurd that I had that opportunity mm -hmm. and I learned a lot about podcasting and what I'm capable of. No, I don't regret anything. I just finally got to the point where I'm like, I'm kind of over the show and I don't like what it's making me do, but, uh, but do I regret anything? Oh, absolutely not. It was a lot of fun. Oh.